Welcome to the Hope Chapel Sermon Podcast. We hope that you are encouraged by this teaching from God's Word. We currently are meeting again for in-person services and would love to have you join us if you feel comfortable. Our in-person service times are Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. You can also tune into our live stream on Sundays at 9 and 11 by going to hopechapel.org forward slash live. You notice the title of my message this morning in the form of a question, fully committed to God. Shall we read the word of God? So Malachi says, and now this admonition is for you, O priests. If you do not listen, and if you do not set your heart to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them because you have not set your heart to honor me. Because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. I will spread on your faces the awful from your festival sacrifices, and you'll be carried off with it. And you will know that I have sent you this admonition so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty. My covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace, and I gave them to him. This called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth. Nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many from sin. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge, and from his mouth men should seek instruction because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty. But you have turned from the way by your teaching and have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. So I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people, because you've not followed my ways, but have shown partiality in matters of the law. This is the word of the Lord, church. So this morning, if you look at your notes, I've posed a question to you, and I think it's something all of us should seriously consider. Have I ever stubbornly refused to do what was asked of me, either by a parent, a teacher, some authority figure, or by God? <laughs> I think it's fair to say that all of us at some point have stubbornly refuse to do whatever God has called us to do. And this was, this is going to be addressed, obviously that same idea is going to be addressed to the priests and ultimately to all of God's people at whatever level. So what have we learned so far from Malachi? I think two major things. The first one is God loves us. Aren't you glad to know that? God loves us. And the second thing we've learned is that he deserves to be honored by us. The people who he has saved, he is, deserves to be honored by them. And God was not being honored by the people of Israel at this juncture of history. And he was not being honored by his people because he wasn't being honored by the priests. The priests weren't honoring God. And as we all know, 
as the leader goes, so go the people. Typically, this is, this is what we see in this particular passage. So who were the priests? The priests were simply the intermediaries between God and his people. They were to represent God to the people, and they were to represent the people to God. So they acted as the intermediaries. Who's our great intermediary now? Jesus. He is our high priest, and he's the intermediary between God and us. So the priests, as acting as intermediaries, the priests were, first of all, to teach God's word to the people. They were to help the people know and understand what God wanted. Secondly, they were to help the people remain faithful to God. If they weren't being faithful, how could they expect the people to be faithful? Thirdly, they were to help the people make atonement for their sins. This is the whole, the whole reason for the sacrificial system that you read about back in uh, the uh, book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy. They were to help safeguard the ritual purity of the temple. The temple was a sacred place and they were to help guard that. And so that no, no way, no person could profane the temple courts. They were to oversee and mediate the entire sacrificial system. No sacrifice could be offered in the temple without the priests mediating that. And lastly, the priests were to lead the people in honoring God, in honoring his name. And God saying to them, you have not honored my name. Rather, you've despised my name. You've dishonored my name. So God accuses the priests of dishonoring his name. Does that happen today? Sadly, yes, it does. Even amongst the church people. His name is dishonored. But in this case, how does God say that they have dishonored his name? Do you recall? You remember? Did the people bring the first and the best? No. They brought what? The last and the worst. They dishonored his name. When you care enough, you send the very best. Hallmark card companies taught us that, haven't they? When you care enough, you send the very best. We understand that. When you care about somebody, you really care about them, and you want to gift them, you send them the very best. Not the worst. And so the people were bringing God not the best, not the first, but the last, the worst. And this was something that the priests turned a blind eye to. And they were allowing these sacrifices to find their way through into the temple. And all of this is really a reflection of their hearts, wasn't it? It's simply a reflection of the people's hearts. Michael reminded us last time that the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. Where's my heart? How many remember what the greatest, the first and greatest commandment is? Yeah. We read it in the book of Deuteronomy. Love the Lord your God with part of your heart, some of your soul, and a little bit of your strength. Oh. You think God is serious about that? Do we all have something to aspire to? Lord, I, 
I need to love you more. I need to love you more. There is more in my life that gets in the way. I need to jettison so I can love you more. Is he deserving of that? Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus himself in Matthew's gospel echoes that great commandment. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Now, do we do that typically? No. We're still fallen beings. We're still troubled with this thing called sin that limits us. But he still calls us to aspire to that, aspire to loving him. I want to love you more and more. I tell my wife, who's probably watching this morning, I love you more and more today. And I want to love you more and more tomorrow. Lord, I want to love you more and more today and tomorrow and the next day. Unless that's the purpose of my heart, unless that's the goal of my life, I won't do it. I think you agree. The problem, the problem here that Malachi is addressing, or rather that God's addressing through Malachi, is that the priests, the priests were the gatekeepers. And they were turning a blind eye and allowing the people to bring inferior sacrifices, inferior gifts. Again, not the first and the best, but the worst and the last, in effect. And they were passing them off. And the priests were unwilling to deal with it. The priests were unwilling to say, no, no, no. Not that. You're not bringing that. You're not bringing that. They said, okay, okay, okay. You can bring that sacrifice. Can you imagine God in heaven going, no. The priests were to lead God's people in honoring him. And they were not doing that. They were the worst offenders. That's why Malachi addresses you, O priests. He could direct to the people, he could talk to the people, but the priests are really the main problem. Are you following that logic? The priests were satisfied with the inferior and the polluted offerings, and the people ultimately were satisfied with the inferior and polluted priests. Oh, yeah, they're just, it doesn't matter. The priests are okay. They, They'll let us do whatever we want. Oh, man. God deliver us from that. Amen? Go back to verse 1, if you will, of chapter 2. And now this admonition is for you, O priests. So God issues a warning. He issues an admonition to the priests. Now remember, as the priests go, so go the people. He's got to direct it to them. So he's going to issue a warning, a, 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 an admonition. The content of that warning you find in verses 2 and 3. He says this, if you do not listen, if you do not set your heart to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, should we listen? Should we set our heart to honor his name? Yeah. I will send a what? A curse upon you and I will curse your blessings Yes, I have already cursed them because you have not set your heart to honor me. And because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. I will spread on your faces the awful 
from your festival sacrifices and you will be carried off with it. Yuck. There are serious consequences, I suggest, for anyone foolish enough to ignore what God says. Serious consequences. You say, well, but I'm a Christian. There's no condemnation due to me. No, but there is discipline. (laughs) I mean, God disciplines those he loves. He does spank us, doesn't he? He does take us to the divine woodshed. He wants us to honor him. Now notice the use of the word if in verse 2. If. If. Indicates, I think, the possibility of the Lord's mercy still remains for these priests. If you do, if you just repent. He holds out for, for them the fact that they could still repent. God calls for a decisive change of heart, a decisive change of attitude. Today, today when you hear his voice, get get on with it. Make a decision. Not tomorrow. Well, I got to pray about it. What's there to pray about? What's there to pray about? Today. If you do not listen, if you do not set your heart to honor my name, the heart, the heart's been described and called a number of things. It's really kind of the command center, if you will, of a person's life. It's where knowledge is collected, considered, and where decisions and plans are made that determine the direction of our life. How many of us have heard and even said, follow your heart? <laughs> Most of you know that I like Hallmark movies, and almost in every Hallmark movie, someone says, Just follow your heart. And I scream, No! The heart is deceitful and sick. But it's still the place where we take in information. It's, it's not our physical heart, obviously. It's that seat, if you will, in us where we do make decisions. But you have to have some truth upon which to make your decision. What information are you going to take in to your heart? What information are you going to consider? And based on what information are you going to make decisions for your life? God tells us. The priests were to respond. The priests were to respond to God's love, to God's greatness, to his awesomeness, to his blessings, to his holiness, they were to respond by repenting and giving him the honor that he deserved. Yes, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. I'm going to honor you. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to be faithful to you no matter what. Every day we make that decision, don't we? It's not enough just to make it once a week, is it, Anthony? Every single day we make that decision. We lay our heads on our pillows at night and we say, Lord, Lord, I missed it here. I missed it here and I missed it here. I'm doing better tomorrow. Strengthen me by your spirit. It's a constant thing. Would you agree? If you were to ask these priests, by the way, if you were to ask these priests, I'm sure they would have testified to the fact that they believed they were honoring God. And yet God says, no, no, you're not. 
their actions betrayed the true place of their attitude in their hearts, didn't it? I know you, not by your words so much, I know you by your actions. Your actions betray the truth of where you really are. You can say all day long, I love Jesus, I love Jesus. I hear that all the time. But I love Jesus, Pastor, I love Jesus. No, you don't. If you love Jesus, you wouldn't be in my office. And the consequence of not repenting, not setting their hearts to honor his name, is the curse. Ooh, the curse. Now, in my English translation, it has a curse. But in the Hebrew, it's the curse. The definite article is used. So it's talking about a specific curse. And I think it's referring to all the curses of Deuteronomy chapter 28. Have you ever read that? Verse after verse after verse. Every aspect of, the, of their lives would be cursed. Now, we're, gonna, we're not going to read all those verses, but you can do it on your own. I just want to call your attention to verse 20 of Deuteronomy 28. The Lord will send on you curses, confusion, and rebuke in everything you put your hand to until you are destroyed and come to sudden ruin because of the evil you have done in forsaking him. <laughs> that would be enough to cause anyone to say, Lord, I repent. I'm getting with the program. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to honor you. Right, Al? We just, just get behind the Lord. Amen? Say amen. Oh. The curses warned the Israelites that the consequence of disobedience would be that God would block every single avenue of blessing and he would open up the floodgates of disaster in their life. Is he serious? Now this initial warning, this initial admonition is followed by an elaboration of three stages. Chap chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. The first stage, the immediate consequence. If you do not listen, if you do not set your heart to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them because you have not set your heart to honor me. God confirmed this by pointing out to them that they had already begun experiencing this curse in that they had already begun to be despised and humiliated before all the people. Just look at verse 9. Their failure to honor the Lord was already resulting in their loss of honor. How embarrassing. More than embarrassing. The second stage of the curse is the curse would not only affect the priests, would it affect their descendants, their children? Because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. In Deuteronomy and in other places, God says that he will punish the children for the sins of the fathers to the third and the fourth generation. We don't dare think that as Christian parents, Christian men, Christian women, that our foolishness and our sin doesn't affect our kids. It does. And God says, to the third and fourth generation. 
Now, that may sound cruel to you. That may sound outrageous to you. But he's saying to us, you need to understand how serious I am about you guys honoring me. Because of the sins of the priests, their family line will be truncated. And there's a parallel passage in Hosea chapter 4. Hosea says, my people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also reject you as my, what? As my priests. Because you have ignored the law of your God, I also will ignore your children. The more the priests increase, the more they sin against me. They exchange their glory for something disgraceful. They feed on the sins of my people and relish their wickedness. Almost identical Different words, but the principle is the same as uh, Malachi. The third and final stage of the curse is found in the last part of verse 3. He says to them, I will spread on your faces the awful from your festival sacrifices, and you will be carried off with it. What, 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 what is the awful? What is the awful? You have any idea what the awful is? It's yucky. It's more than yucky. When the priest would cut up the animals for sacrifice, all the entrails would fall to the ground. All the waste would fall to the ground. It was very messy, very bloody, very disgusting, very smelly. In fact, when you go back and... and and the priests say, and, and Mike alluded to this last week, that the, the, the priests were dissatisfied and frustrated with their work as priests. I mean, you had to stand there all day. You had to stand there all day. It was bloody, messy, smelly, disgusting. The awful, all the entrails and all the animal waste and everything considered unclean had to be picked up, cleaned up, and carried outside the sanctuary, outside the camp, and burned because it was unclean. So God's saying, I'm going to take that stuff, and I'm going to rub it in your face. Not exciting. No. Spreading that defiled waste on the priest's faces and carrying them away as so much waste themselves was a figurative way of saying they would re be removed, carried away, much as the awful was carried away. They were no different from that. That's how God viewed them. He was disgusted. And this, he was absolutely repulsed and reviled by this experience that the priests of their behavior and their attitude. As they had treated the Lord with contempt, despising his name, despising his altar with their corrupt and useless sacrifices, so the Lord would treat them with contempt and treat them, defile them, rendering them unclean and useless. The very opposite of what the priests should have been. Is this serious stuff? 
And since they considered it such a burden to serve the Lord, he would free them from this burden simply by removing them and their descendants from his service. Now look with me at verse four. Why is God going to do this? Well, because when it happens, when this happens, the priest would know that this was a word from God. It wasn't the simple ravings of a mad prophet because these words would come true. God is speaking. It's easy to blow off a prophet. Ah, you know what you're talking about. You know, you're just a crazy old prophet. (laughs) No, no, no. No, they would know that this is from God. Clear word from him. But there's a second purpose for this judgment, and that's that God's covenant would remain with Levi. Now, this is very interesting. This is something that we, it's kind of a difficult, difficult passage to understand, but I'm trying to explain it to you the best I can. There is no specific covenant with Levi in the Old Testament. Now, we know all the other covenants with the Abrahamic covenant, the Davidic covenant, the Noahic covenant, and so forth. But there's no specific covenant with Levi identified in the Old Testament. Levi, as you know, was one of the 12 sons of Jacob, and he was not a priest. And in fact, when you read at the end of the book of Genesis, when Jacob pronounces the blessings, etc., on all of his sons, he's not exactly complimentary about Levi. I'll leave you to read that on your own. But because God chose the tribe of Levi to be the priestly tribe, that very choice that God makes with all the promises and stipulations that go with that choice, that choice formed the covenant. Though it's not a formal covenant, in the sense that we understand, God forms a covenant with the tribe of Levi. They would become the tribe of priests. And that was sealed with a sacrifice. You read about that in the book of Leviticus chapters 8 and 9. The covenant with Levi... The covenant with Levi was the ministry of the priests. It was the ministry of the priests. And Malachi reminds the priests of the calling as priests that they had received. And he hearkens back to Levi and to the Levitical priesthood earlier in Israel's history. In other words, the covenant between God and the Levitical priest was designed by God to produce two things. Can you think of what the two things that the covenant was designed to produce? He tells us in the text. I'm hearing it. Verse five. Life and peace. How many want a full life (laughs) and peace? Do we have that in the new covenant? Yeah, it's guaranteed to us. God says, I'm offering you life and peace. The question is, are we going to respond by honoring him so that we realize the life and peace he's offering? So in a sense, the new covenant is really no different than the Levitical covenant. Am I making sense? Life and peace. In other words, the covenant between God 
And the Levitical priest was designed to produce life and peace. Boy, if, if there's anything that people want in their life, it's peace. Isn't that true? They would trade anything. Just give me some peace. And if the priests would be serving faithfully, serving God faithfully, if they would be speaking the truth, if they'd be offering the sacrifices for atonement, praying for the people, the worshipers then would find life and peace with God. Why? Because the priests are the intermediaries. If they're doing what they should be doing, the people should find life and peace. And that's really what any form of ministry is all about, isn't it? Yeah. Whether you're in part of a mini church or, 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 or church or any kind of ministry, the fruit of that ought to be life and peace for anyone who's part of that. Peace signifies a sense of well-being. I'm at peace. A sense of well-being. And also, it's, it's a testimony of peace with God. In other words, God's guns of judgment aren't trained on us anymore. And that peace with God can only be enjoyed through the atonement and the forgiveness that comes with the atonement. The sacrifices that are offered to cover over the sins of the people. And the forgiveness that extends and life signifies all the physical, all the spiritual, all the emotional and eternal life of God's blessing and provision. God wants to pour blessings into our life. He wants us to know the fullness. Jesus says, I have come that you might have life meagerly. No. He says, I have come that you might have life what? To the full. The max. I want to pour life into you. Somebody say praise the Lord for that. And when the temple was functioning properly as God had ordained it to, the people would leave knowing that they had been blessed with life because they were at peace with God because of the sacrifices that were appropriate that were offered by the priests, the gatekeepers. God reminded these rebellious priests that the earlier priests, the earlier generations of priests, the Levitical priests, the Levites, not only accepted that ministry and understood what an awesome responsibility that it was, but they were also given life and peace. It wasn't just for the people. It was for the priests themselves. It was critical for them. And it's critical for all today, all, all, all Christians who are ministering. And we're all ministers, are we not? It's critical for all of us to live that spiritual life and to enjoy peace with God. And we might enjoy the peace of God. Why? So we can communicate these things to other people. We've all experienced this, I'm sure. You know, you're walking with the Lord and your life is just rich. It's full. It's blessed. And people say, what, what is it about you? You're, you're different. You stand out in a good way. And, and you, you just say, well, I just, I just have Jesus in my heart. <laughs> wow. Wow. 
we get to communicate the hope of peace and life to others. Now in verse 5, the statement, I gave them to him, Levi, meaning peace and life, I gave them to him, indicates that these earlier priests truly, truly believed in the Lord and truly honored him, and they walked in peace and uprightness, turning many from what? Sin. Their very lives were a testimony. People would encounter them, and they would be convicted of their own sin. You don't hardly even have to say anything. Just how you live your life, how you honor God. And the Holy Spirit works through that to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Oh, you may have to say a little, a little bit, but the effect of your life. Many people turn from sin just because they know you and because you're genuine. God gave life and peace, and in response to the life and peace that he gave, the Lord expected what in return? That they would revere him. They would honor him. They would stand in awe of him, which begs the question, do we really stand in awe of him? Do we go, whoa, whoa, don't mess with him. Don't trifle with him. Stand in awe of him. Those of us who know the Lord, we must realize that we live every moment of every day in the immediate presence of God, almighty God. And his limitless grace that protects us from being destroyed by his wrath. We're covered by that grace. Isn't that wonderful? Only a fool, only a fool could respond with anything but reverence and fear and awe and love for God. And those things ought to motivate us to diligent faithfulness and obedience. Right, Andre? Yes. And what was the evidence that they feared and revered God? He goes on to say, their faithful and effective ministry. Verse 6 describes their faithful teaching ministry. The law of truth was in his mouth. They taught the truth and nothing else, nothing false came out of their mouth. They wanted to make sure that what they said was the truth. And besides their faithful teaching, they lived the truth that they taught. They walked with God in peace and uprightness. What does it mean to walk with God? What does it mean to walk with God? Keep, keep in lockstep with him, right? Put my feet right in his footprints. To walk with God. Think about that. Walk with God means simply to live your life in accordance with his will. How many have prayed boldly and rather fearlessly, God, your will be done? You know what you're, do? you know what you're praying when you pray? You're saying, okay, not me, it's you, your will be done. Have your way in my life. I don't know about you, but that's a scary prayer to pray. You don't pray it casually. To walk with God means to live our life in accordance with his will. 
And that would be a life characterized by peace and uprightness. To walk with God, one has to be at peace with God. You can't walk with God if, you don't, if you're not at peace with him. You can't walk with him if you don't know Jesus, if you're not born again. I say to people, just in conversation, I said, may I ask you a question? Are you born again? When do you think they were asked that question? They said, well, what do you mean? I don't know. No, I don't know. But do you know Jesus? Well, I know. I said, Jesus says you must be born again. And I walk away. Let them think about it. Because they know I'll see them again. Finally, their faithful teaching, their obedient living caused many people to turn away from sin. All this, by the way, is still the pattern for our lives today. It's still a pattern for effective ministry. Just think with me. Demonstrating a reverential fear of God. Is that relevant for today's ministry? Sure. Teaching the word of God faithfully. Is that relevant? Yes. Living in obedience to God's word? Yes. And bringing people to repentance and faith in Jesus? Yes. Same things. God's principles are true, whether it be the Old or the New Testament. In verse 7, Malachi reminds the priests and us of the primary function of the ministry. The primary function of the ministry. What do you think that was? The lips of the priest must preserve knowledge. The truth. Spiritual truth. God's word. Doctrine. What's right. And instruction should be sought from his mouth because he is a messenger of God. There are three basic duties the priests were to perform. One, they were to teach the law. They were to teach God's word. Secondly, they were to burn incense, which was done when the priest made intercessory prayer. And thirdly, they were to make the atoning sacrifices. Always be ready to help the people get through to God through the provision of atonement. But first and foremost, the priests were the teachers, and they must teach Knowledge of God's word. That is preeminent. That is absolutely central. You can do all the good works, but if you're not teaching the word of God and people are not hearing the word of God, it's not going to make any difference in their life. There's no place in ministry for ignorant ministers or pastors or teachers who lack biblical theological knowledge, who will not study the Bible or not use the scripture in their messages. People in the congregation must feel confident that those ministering to them know what God has said and know what it means and that they can go to those ministers and ask their questions and find answers. If there's no solid teaching, there can be no solid worship. Because you don't know who you're worshiping. You don't know why you're worshiping. It's a free-for-all. We worship in spirit and 
truth. Verse 8. Notice verse 8. First two words. But. But you. Those two words contrast the present day priest with the priest he's been describing in the ideal of those earlier Levitical priests. But you, he says, notice the threefold indictment that Malachi brings. Rather than walking with the Lord in peace and uprightness, they had turned from the way. Turned, and there are lots and lots, of, by the way, there are lots and lots of pastors and churches today have turned from the way. And they're getting involved in all sorts of sociological stuff. Jumping on the world's bandwagon. As long as I'm alive in here, we're never going to do that. We're going to preach the word of God. Verse by verse. See, their faith, their, their failure in ministry began with a failure in their own lives. Keep a guard on your heart. They didn't study. They didn't tell the people the truth. They didn't live out the, their faith before the people. They made no converts. They turned from the way. But you, he says to those priests, you have turned from the way. And instead of turning many from sin, verse 6, their, their instruction, we're told, caused many to do what? To stumble. Stumbling is how the Bible often describes the failure of sin and the disastrous effects of that. It's a trouble typical of those who follow the way of the wicked. Proverbs 4.19 says this. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. Clueless. But that stumbling is avoided by those who love God's word and thus have a great peace. Psalm 119, verse 165. Great peace have they who love your law and nothing can make them, what? Stumble. Isn't that beautiful? Why? I love your law. I know your law. I'm walking with you. Nothing can cause me to stumble. And the third and most prominent charge that was... Instead of standing in awe of the Lord's name, the priests had violated this covenant with Levi. As a result of violating this covenant with Levi, as was the case when Israel, God's people, violated the covenant that they made with God, judgment would fall on covenant breakers. So verse 9, God announces his judgment on the priests. They dishonored God in their ministry. God will now dishonor them. Because they had despised his name, God has cursed them. They would be despised and humiliated before all the people. They had not followed God's ways. They had also showed partiality. How horrible. How horrible it would be to be a minister in the sanctuary with everyone knowing that you're corrupt and unfaithful. A pleaser of people, not a pleaser of God. And you've got to stand before the people and people go, you are a sham. You are a phony. Wow. 
Today, people could just simply leave the church, couldn't they? But back then, you couldn't leave. There's only one sanctuary. You couldn't leave. And you had to endure this. And the priests had to endure it too. The ridicule and the of the people. Because that would always go on. Still goes on, doesn't it? Yes. So to whom then does this passage apply today, do you think? Who, to whom does it apply? <laughs> I submit to you, it applies to all of us. Not only to pastors and teachers and shepherds and ministry leaders and so forth. It applies to all of us. All of us should know this passage in order that we're all faithful to honor him and to fear him. As with Israel, so in the church, all believers are a kingdom of priests. Peter reminds us of that. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. And what the priests were to the people, the people were to be to the world. Teachers of God's word, living in peace and uprightness and turning people into faithful believers turning them away from sin, not causing them to stumble. Christians especially, if you and I have been believers for any significant length of time at all, we should know the word of God. Would you agree? We should be growing up students of his word, knowing his word, following his word, living his word, and as well, teaching his word. It's not just left to the few all of us are purveyors of God's truth as we teach it and live it. Why? So that we may influence others to righteousness, turn them from their sin, and see lives transformed. Though so the passage this morning focused primarily on those Old Testament priests, the members of the congregation, regardless of what the priests taught, were still to obey God's word. They were still to know God's word. Jesus in Matthew chapter 23 reminded his listeners this way. Teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must obey them and do everything they tell you. In other words, when they teach you the law, you'd obey the law. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. Are we all responsible Yes, we are. As you continue in your Christian faith, you must aspire to learning the word of God, learning, reading, studying on your own, not simply dependent on one or two people as teachers. We must all be careful how we interpret God's word, how we apply God's word, and when we hear God's word taught to us, we must be like the Bereans, Luke reminds us in Acts chapter 17 to know if the message of the lesson, they even checked up on Paul. They examined the scriptures every day. They were more noble, back it up. They're more noble character than the Thessalonians for they received the message with great eagerness, but they examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Wow, that's awesome, isn't it? Church, shall we 
seek to know God's word? Should we seek to honor him, hold him in awesome reverence, and do what he says? Amen? Amen. Father, thank you again for your word. Thank you for instruction to us. Thank you, Lord, that we need to revere you. We need to honor you. We need to acknowledge who you are in your majesty, in your grace, in your power. We thank you for being our God. We thank you for this great salvation. We thank you for Jesus. And as we come to your table, Lord, we just pray that you would just refresh us in our understanding, renew us as we remember Jesus. We thank you. Amen. On behalf of the Hope Chapel family, I'd like to thank you for tuning in to the sermon podcast. If you would like to know more about our church, you can visit www.hopechapel.org.